Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello and welcome. Big Talk with Todd and Noah presented by Xfinity 10G Network. This is episode number six after week number five of the college football season. I'm Noah Eagle. He is Todd Blackledge and we appreciate you joining us for another week here of college football. A nice recap, a nice look forward. And for us, I I would say that the game was the spectacle and the Cooper DeGene touchdown was the spectacle, which is something we'll get into. But how about the moonshot we got? How about that shot of the moon with the craters and everything? Yes. And then, yeah, the, the close-up shots, you know, that just showed all of it. I mean, that was, yeah, very, very uh, Neil Armstrong-ish, you know, kind of felt like. No, I know. I, well, you see, I've never envied <laughs> Neil Armstrong. I never thought to myself, I want to go to space one day. I was never that kid that said I was going to be an astronaut. But for yeah. whatever reason, that shot that our director, Charlie Danmeyer, found and our outstanding camera crew found a way to get that uh, there was something about it that actually piqued my yeah. curiosity like oh you know it maybe it would be cool to stand on that thing <laughs> it might be swing a golf club do something like that up there like well that's the key right that's what everybody, yeah that's yeah. what i feel like everybody wants to do is swing a golf club why why does nobody say what if i just took a football and tried to chuck it and then i could eventually be the guy who threw a football longer than anybody else yeah yeah maybe right. so yeah. All right, that's what I'm. That's what I'm going to. All right, Todd, what are your your top takeaways? Week five, college football things starting to really take shape around the country. Yeah, you know it's it's, and we talked about this a little bit on the air, and and I think it's true. It's been a while since I can remember a year in college football where we've gone through a month, and there is no clear dominant one or two teams that seem yeah. to be yeah. have separated from everybody else. I mean. You know, Georgia, they haven't lost in a long time, and they're still number one, but they don't look invincible. You know, I mean, Auburn took them to the wire, and Auburn is just a, you know, they're an okay team. They're not anything special, and, um, you know, Georgia had to really fight to win that game. So, uh, you know, I was sitting there on the on the plane home, and I'm, I'm writing down, you know, we, we, we're a month in. There's still a lot of undefeated teams left. Uh, and and not all the undefeated teams, I would say, are college football playoff caliber. You know, sure. like a team like Marshall is undefeated. Missouri is undefeated. Kentucky's undefeated. I don't know that those teams are, are national championship worthy. You know, of course, we'll find out with Kentucky this week when they play Georgia. But there's another group, you know, Georgia, Texas, Florida State, Ohio State. Miami, who didn't even play last week, Ohio State, Florida State, and Miami, uh, Washington State, you know, uh, was off this past week. Penn State, USC, Michigan, Oklahoma, 
you know, all of a sudden playing at, at a different level than they were ever even close to last year. So, um, so it's it's interesting because I think a lot of those teams are still in the they're they're right in the hunt, right in the mix. And then you got one loss teams, you know, Alabama and A and M play this week. One of them will still be alive. The other one will probably be out. And Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame survived this past week against Duke. Uh, they've got another test on the road against Louisville, who is another undefeated team. Don't know how good they are, but they're undefeated. And uh, so it's it's just fascinating to me that as we enter the month of October now, there it's so wide open, and which is awesome, really. I do. I agree. I, that's it's great for the college football landscape and the world of the sport and the fandom. There's also two schools of thought because there's there's people that always like to see Goliath get taken down. And the last couple of years, those were the opportunities was who's going to dethrone Goliath. And it, it right. really created two outstanding semifinal games last year. And who knows what happens if if Michigan finds a way to win their game or if Ohio State finds a way to win their game and goes on and, and potentially takes the title. But that that's obviously revisionist history. I do think, to your point now, because of the parity, no matter who makes it for this final year of the four-team playoff, we're going to get two wonderful games to start and then we're going to get a tremendous final i just think that's the yeah. type of season that we have and to your point there are so many teams and so when we as we always do start around the nation here george is the top story as a a non-big 10 team right now because they're number one because they haven't lost in nearly two full years uh, in the calendar like right. not just right. seasons but two full calendar years we're getting closer and closer to that as we get towards the end of the regular season this year if they can run the table again but they hang on. That's the best way to describe what they did. And it's not the first time this year that the Bulldogs have been legitimately tested deep into the second half of a game. Now, yeah. you mentioned it. Auburn is an improved football team from what they were a year ago, but they're not, by any stretch of the word, a top-tier football team in the country. And yet, Georgia, it's it's interesting how we judge these teams. And Michigan had been feeling the same type of thing where, yeah, they're winning and they're beating these teams, but are you winning by enough? Are you really doing it dominant enough? Georgia gets the job done. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. At the end of the day, until they lose a game, they're going to be the number one team in the country. And they right. earn that right because of what they've done the last couple of years. But there's nothing about this game that you stepped away and said, all right, they are clearly the team to beat around the country. Right. No, there's not. Now, let me let me back up a couple steps. Uh, because have you ever done a game at Auburn? Yes. Have you Okay. I mean, that's a hard place. I mean, it's a loud place. It's a great home field advantage. And that's a rivalry game that goes back 100 years, Auburn and Georgia. Okay. So it it is normally a competitive game. It's competitive more often than it's not competitive. Um, That being said, uh, the alarming thing or the concerning thing, if I'm Georgia, they gave up over 200 yards rushing to Auburn. And that will get put to the test again this week because Kentucky – they love to run the football, and they had a kid who ran for 280 in their win uh, this past week. So you had 200 um, in the first half of the game. Yeah, yeah, 200 in the first half. That's right. Uh, so you know that shows again a little bit of a, a question mark, a vulnerability with that team. Uh, the one thing that is not a question mark, and and we've seen there, there's no dominant team, but there are some dominant unicorn type players in college football this year. Caleb Williams is one, right? Marvin Harrison Jr. is one. And Brock Bowers is another. He's a unicorn. I mean, he is, he is the best player at his position um, 
anywhere, you know, and, and he's, he's listed as a tight end, but he's got wide receiver ball skills and, and ability after the catch. And if they don't have him, they probably don't win that game. You know, no. I mean, he, he finished with eight catches for over 150 yards. Six of those for 148 came in the second half. So, I mean, he really bailed them out in the second half, had the 40-yard touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown, uh, you know, late in the game. So, I mean, he's a special, special football player and, 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 and a guy who's really fun to watch. And Georgia would be – they would be hurting without him right now. And they're going to have to find ways to replace him next year because he will leave for the NFL. And quite honestly, if I'm a team at the NFL level and you have a top-five pick and you already have a quarterback and you already have a wide receiver – you don't have to take a Caleb Williams. You don't have to take Marvin Harrison Jr. You don't have to take a Drake May or any of these other guys. Right. That's that's the dude you're taking. That is yeah. the, because you see what what Travis Kelsey does to create mismatches every yeah. single week. Every single yeah. week over the course of his entire career. You're telling me Brock Bowers. I'm not saying he's Travis Kelsey. I'm not saying he's going to be that right away. But does he have the potential to turn into something like that? One thousand percent. He's been doing yeah. this. Everything you just described about his season this year as a junior. He was doing two years ago as a true freshman in leading his yeah, team to a sure national was. championship. So yeah. Unicorn's the only way to describe him. Hugh Freeze, a really nice performance by his team his first year. So continues to instill his culture over there in Auburn. And they're as, as I said, they're an improved team from what they were yeah. a year ago. And the key for them is to just keep taking those steps forward. Uh, another undefeated team you had mentioned in that group of legitimate title hopefuls and contenders is USC. And they beat Colorado. They jump out to that crazy early lead. And then the Buffaloes give them a lot of credit for the way they stayed in the game, give them a lot of credit without Travis Hunter and without Shiloh Sanders for fighting at that level. But the storyline for USC and the storyline for this game is what is this Trojan defense going to look like as they get into tougher and tougher and tougher competition? And if that was the first major test, they didn't really pass it in my mind. They didn't really show anything to make any of the non-believers believers. Yeah, and that is concerning, and that's why I don't know how legitimate of a chance they have to, you know, make it to the college football playoff. They may not even make it to the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, because they've got some challenges ahead, you know, some offenses that they might face with Oregon, Washington, you know, down the stretch uh, that that are going to be really good and really challenging for them. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite understand. I've tried to figure it out. I think Alex Grinch is a good football coach. I think he was good at Washington State. I think he did a good job at Ohio State. But for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's his philosophy, his system, his style, or if it's more Lincoln Riley, you know, and the fact that they're recruiting and everything is more geared towards offense. I don't know. Um, but, But this is a problem that has followed Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to Southern Cal. You know, I mean, they, the same thing, they went to the college football playoff when he was at Oklahoma and offensively they could compete with anybody in the field, but their defense was woefully behind the other teams like Georgia and Alabama and, you know, Notre Dame, whoever was else was in the college football playoff, all played a much higher level of defense than Oklahoma did. And it showed in the playoff Clemson, you know, they, they couldn't, they couldn't stay on the field. And so now he's at SC and you would think, okay, different recruiting base. They should be able to recruit to that side of the ball and have studs on defense. I mean, USC has a history of great defenses and great defensive football players. 
but it just has not shown up yet. And so I don't know. I, I don't know how far away they are. And, and again, I don't know if it's a, a situation where they've got to bring in a different guy with a different philosophy, a different style um, or what. But but part of the problem, and, and I think we saw this with SC last year, and certainly in the game against Colorado, I saw it again. Uh, just from a fundamental standpoint, they are not a good tackling football team. And, you know, you still have to tackle and get guys on the ground. And they've got guys who can move and play in space, but they don't tackle well. And that showed right. up, you know, in, in the game and the comeback by Colorado. And, and you're right. Credit to them. Shadur Sanders, another outstanding football game, he, you know, brought his team back. They didn't quit. They didn't panic. Um, but but they were helped by by poor defense and poor tackling on the USC side as well. Yeah, so final tally from the game was 48-41. So a ton of points as expected. Shador Sanders, 371 yards through the air. He had five total touchdowns, four of them throwing. Caleb Williams, over 400 yards, had six touchdowns, which ties a single-game career high for the the Heisman defending champion. Uh, But USC was up 34-7 in this game. And you, you mentioned the Oklahoma teams that Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch had it felt very similar where they would go up early in these games, right? Their offense comes out, they're humming right away. They maybe take a couple touchdown lead. And then it's almost like they breathe this sigh of relief. Like their defense feels like they got just enough stops already. Game's kind of in our hand. You know, that 34 to seven advantage was in the second quarter and they were up big really midway or even late into the third quarter before Colorado started to storm that comeback. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a mental thing, but you had talked about it at least the other day. You know, they have athletes on the defensive side. Even last year they did. Tui Tuli Pelotu is a fantastic player who is a second-round pick who's making a high impact already on Sundays. And he was he led the entire country in tackles for losses, and their defense was still as abysmal as it was a year ago. That basically, that, that was the reason that they couldn't get all the way through to the college football playoff. They just had to win that game against Utah and Cam Rising both times last season carved them time and time again. Yeah. He was just too experienced and too understanding of what they were trying to do to him. So I don't know what it is, but they do have talent on that side of the football. And the curious looks, you know, two weeks from now against Notre Dame, when you've got a Sam Hartman at quarterback who is experienced right. and motivated after the loss to Ohio State. We saw him make just enough plays in the in the game against Duke, and that's the game we're going to get to next. But when you've got a, a guy like that, and then all the other quarterbacks, Michael Penix and Bo Nix and Cam Rising eventually coming back, and Cam yeah. Ward playing at a high level right now, that's the concern for USC. And this just – it yeah. just didn't ease any of them. No, it didn't. Now, again, the one thing, and I think it's, it's good to point it out right now uh, – you know, we called him a unicorn, Caleb Williams. Uh, but he, amazingly, I mean, he he legitimately, and I don't like talking Heisman until we get partway through the season, which we are now. We're into the month of October. Um, you know, and he's one of the front runners for it again. And, and he legitimately has a chance to be the first two-time winner since Archie Griffin because he's actually playing better yeah. this year statistically than he did a year ago. You know, and and I don't know if his receiving core is as good. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but he is playing at an extremely high level. I mean, and and watching him play, and I watched most of that game. Uh, I didn't see a lot of the comeback because I was, you know, heading to the stadium, but I watched most of when they were building their big lead. 
and he was spectacular. And, and he, there's only one other guy that I've seen playing the position that does some of the things that he does in terms of his body and movement and arm angles and all that. And that's Patrick Mahomes. I mean, there, you know, he, he looks a lot like Patrick Mahomes in some of the plays that he makes. Yeah. The, the mobility and the combined concentration that he still has to throw on the run and be just deadly accurate is scary. Yeah. So Caleb Williams continues that, that Heisman hopeful as a, as a back-to-back winner mentioned Notre Dame. So they come off the loss to Ohio state. And I think a lot yeah. of us were wondering would that loss linger enough to then impact them against Duke, a, a tough environment on the road right now. Duke's got a lot of juice, obviously one of their best teams in a long time. And, Mike Elko's done a fantastic job in building that program. Riley Leonard's having a fantastic yeah. season as well. And we were periodically checking the score of that game during our game, and we kept seeing yeah. Notre Dame built that lead. It was 10 nothing at the half. Duke had some chances to get some points on the board and missed out on some field goals, missed out on some red zone opportunities. So it was 10 nothing at half, and then we blink and we look up, and Duke's now up 14-13 to 13 yeah. out of nowhere. Right. We say, wait, what just happened here? O'Reilly Leonard stayed poised, stayed calm, stayed composed. That defense did the same thing. Sam Hartman had some some tough drives here and there. And yet, when it came down to it, in the biggest moment on a fourth and forever, Sam Hartman with a 30-yard – or not a 30-yard. He had a fourth and 16 run, 16 yards to get the first down, and then a 30-yard touchdown for Montrick Estime with about 30 seconds left that eventually put Notre Dame in front for good. A huge win for the Irish on so many levels, mostly because it keeps them alive, to your point, for a college football playoff as they just kind of hope they can figure out everything and things break the right way. But they're still very much alive so long as they take care of their business. And that's what this win felt like. It felt like, okay, you had an emotional loss a week ago against a now top five team. You you go out there and just make make it happen, essentially. Just get the job done. It doesn't have to be pretty. And they did just that. Yeah, they did. A couple really interesting takeaways from this game. Uh, first of all, you know, we mentioned Hugh Freeze earlier. He's a really good football coach. Mike Elko is an excellent football coach, yes. and he's a great defensive mind. You know, he was a D coordinator at Notre Dame, then he went to A&M, and now, is, you know, he's the head coach. And he does a great job of taking away what you do best. And for Notre Dame, that's running the football, right? Well, Outside of the estimate run for the touchdown and the scramble by Sam Hartman, Notre Dame had trouble running the football. They and they were three of fifteen on third down. They were not effective, you know, maintaining the drives and, and staying on the field. And so, you know, that's a little bit of a concern because people put that on tape now and watch the tape. Okay, what did they do, you know, to really negate the running game of Notre Dame? But here's the other thing. I mean, obviously. Notre Dame does not win this game last year, all right? They have Sam Hartman now. Because they have Sam Hartman, they can win the game. I mean, that last drive, you know, it actually started by going backwards. You know, they had a penalty. They had, I think, an offensive pass interference, so they were already behind the sticks. And he didn't panic, and the team didn't panic. And, And how ironic is this? The week before, they get beat on a final drive right, that goes down to the wire and Ohio State scores. And in that final drive, there's one particular play. It's third and 19, and Notre Dame chose to rush three and drop eight, and McCord hits the pass for 20 yards to the one-yard line, right? In this game, it's fourth and 16, and Mike Elko rushes three and drops eight, 
and Sam Hartman is able to scramble for the first down and then estimate scores on the next play. So just uh, really ironic that those two weeks, huge games, I mean, you know, yep. that Notre Dame is involved in happen like that down the stretch in the final drive of the game. Big one for Notre Dame is in two weeks against SC at home. The, the, the one guy that deserves a shout-out that just seems like he's getting better with each week. He had some unbelievable catches in the game we did against Ohio State. It's Mitchell Evans, the tight end. Yeah. Mitchell Evans, right. this, was, this is a, a program that has had great success at, at that position in particular. They've had yeah. guys drafted, I think, dating all the way back to around 2004 or so. Every starting tight end they've had from that point on yeah. has been drafted to the NFL. And to replace Michael Mayer is no easy feat. And I'm sure Michael Mayer – although he still had a great year, all things considered, and obviously has gone on to greener pastures. But I'm sure he's looking back and saying, oh, wait, they got Sam Hartman after I left? <laughs> what would my numbers have been last year if he was there? Right, right, because he would right. have been monstrous. But Mitchell Evans goes for six catches, 134 yards, and a lot of them were big time. A lot of them were catches that they needed every yard that he got. If they can develop him, because they've already shown that some of their freshman wide receivers, Rico Flores and more specifically Jaden Greathouse, have a chance to be really good, yeah. really special for them. But if you can develop this tight end on top of that with all those running backs that they have, they're using five yeah. legitimate running backs and a great offensive line. Now you can go out and beat some of those big boys as we saw this week. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be encouraged by, you know, with Notre Dame. And 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 also, you know, as we talked about Riley Leonard, and it was, it was a shame to see him go down late in the game, you know, on their final possession. And hopefully he can come back from whatever that injury is, you know, in, in, in an expedient fashion, because he's really a good player, was having a great season as well. But, you know, Al Golden and that Notre Dame defense, you know, back-to-back weeks, other than a couple plays, I mean, really did a great job. I mean, you hold them to 14 points. Uh, that's a good offensive football team and a good quarterback in their building. So um, a lot to be encouraged by if you're Notre Dame. But, um, they again, they can't at all look forward to the USC game in two weeks because they're going to Louisville yeah. to play Jeff Brom's team, who is 5-0. and And, again, I don't know how good Louisville is, but you know they're going to be confident because they've won every game. And so, you know, it'll be a big stage and, and a big opportunity. And, again, those are the kind of games where, if you're Notre Dame, you're thrilled that you have Sam Hartman because he's been there, done that. He's that calming presence, that mature presence that will kind of keep them on point. But they're going to have to play another A game this week before they even can start thinking about the matchup with the Trojans. Yeah, Louisville is ranked at 25 this week in the AT, AP Top 25, which – would mean another potential road-ranked victory for Notre Dame if they yeah. can get it. Last one we, we just have to expand on around the country before we get into the Big Ten is that Ole Miss-LSU game. Another one that we were kind of keeping our eyes on during our game. Just They had started a little bit earlier, so they finished probably right around our second quarter or so. But if you like points, you liked this game. Uh, Ole Miss finds a way 55-49, yeah. and the fans rush the field after the fact in, the, in a top-20 matchup. Jackson Dart with a 13-yard touchdown pass to Trey Harris with 39 seconds remaining. That would eventually be the game-winning score. It was a nearly two-minute drive that went 88 yards down the field. And so Ole Miss, a a big win. It's really the the best way to describe it. You know, LSU, obviously with two losses, and and I I was glad that they didn't drop out of the top 25 because their two losses have come to two good football teams. You know, you've got FSU week one and then Ole Miss here that has moved up inside the top 15. But 
Uh, this was a, a fun, entertaining game. This was an SEC battle, a showdown, maybe not what you normally expect. But right. it feels like Ole Miss, even really dating back to the last five years or so, always seems to find themselves in these games and always seems to find a way to win by yeah. a score. Yeah, although I think this game and win is probably the best win that Lane Kiffin's had since he's been yep. the head coach. You know, I mean, they've been in that position where they're playing a, a higher ranked team and there's a lot of buildup and they've not been able to come through with a victory in that sense. But they did in this one, you know, and so great job by them. It's amazing. The week before, they couldn't do anything on offense. Alabama just throttled them. They scored 10 points. You know, Jackson Dart, they didn't throw it. They didn't run it. And then everything just exploded. And they had a school record 711 yards of offense in this game. So, I mean, obviously LSU has got some things figured out on offense. Jaden Daniels was magnificent. He had over 500 total yards, you know, running and passing, brought him back and had a shot at the end, you know, and and they came up short. But defensively, some real issues going on right now with LSU. So SEC continues to kind of beat up on each other. We'll see if Alabama can run the table themselves the rest of the way to get to their SEC championship. Can Georgia stay undefeated? Is Ole Miss for real now with Lane Kiffin after a big win? So many storylines, as always, in that conference, including Kentucky, as we mentioned, just ran all over Florida, just destroyed them on the ground in number 22 falls, 33-14. to 14. Ray Davis, 280 yards, four total touchdowns. He had 200-plus in the first half alone. All right, we go to the Big Ten. Let's start with... Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Our game, Iowa beats Michigan State 26-16. The main storyline from this game was Cade McNamara going down, second offensive series for the Hawkeyes in what Felt like a quad injury. We're still kind of waiting on the official word on yeah. what it looks like long-term. Some people are lip-reader uh, legends, let's call them, online. So they're trying to see what Cade was telling some of the Michigan State players after the game, and some think that he might be talking about his knee. We're going to wait on yeah. what the official injury is. Yeah. But Deacon Hill comes in, replaces him, and they get the win. It wasn't necessarily the offense that did it, but the offense also right. didn't lose them the game entirely. So – Cooper DeGene, eventually the 70-yard punt return touchdown was what the, the separating factor was. Iowa got another turnover, would kick a field goal to, to win the game by 10. But what did you see out of the Hawkeyes, especially now with Deacon Hill at quarterback and what their offense could look like moving forward? Well, you know, there's still a major work in progress offensively right now. The, the thing that was – and it was so sad to see Cade go down because they came out and actually – 
you know, had a good plan. They were throwing the ball on early downs. They were getting their wide receivers some touches and getting involved. And, and it looked like they had a good plan in place. And then the next possession, he's out. And so when Deacon Hill comes in, his first possession he's in, they're backed up inside their own five-yard line. So you can't really open things up. You don't know what you have. Uh, eventually, when they realized he was going to be their guy, I thought Brian Ferentz did a nice job of, of throwing on some early downs and trying to get the ball to wide receivers. Uh, the wide receivers had a bunch of drop passes, you know, and, and, and yeah. that didn't help their cause. So their numbers, you know, their points and their yards and everything was down, uh, still not very good. But I did see some glimmer of hope with their wide receivers and trying to get them the football. They just got to be more consistent catching it, you know. And and Eric All, you know, is is a talented tight end. You, we talked about the Notre Dame tight end tradition. You know, Iowa has a great tight end tradition as well. Yes. And uh, you know, so so I think there was some things to be encouraged by. But it's still going to be a team that's going to win because of their defense and their special teams. And, you know, that's, that's just who they are and what they are, and, and they'll continue to be that way. Yeah, without Luke Lachey now for the rest of the season, they really need those two running backs back, Caleb Johnson and Jazzy and yeah. Patterson. It feels like when they can get some more of that dynamic play in the backfield, that'll help them a lot, help to open yeah. up what Deacon Hill can do. So Iowa next has Purdue at home, and that's a game that they they really have to win. The, the good news for Iowa is this schedule is favorable for them this year. Yeah. They don't have a Michigan. They don't have an Ohio State. They already have played Penn State. The big one is really next week against Wisconsin in a game that probably will end up deciding the West. As yeah. for Michigan State, they're on a bye. It, it, it is a necessary bye. You've got Rutgers the following week on the road in New Jersey. It's a Michigan State team that I think we saw legitimate talent. Certainly Malik Carr getting hurt in that game really yeah. did do them a disservice on the offensive side. That He was having a fantastic game in that first quarter. Six catches in the first quarter alone, and Noah Kim was looking almost exclusively for him. And we've yeah. seen the talent that Noah Kim does possess. He has some talent. Their defense made a couple of plays, albeit against the backup quarterback. But they have the infrastructure there, and Harlan Barnett's done a nice job of just kind of keeping the team together through some of the turmoil with the Mel Tucker situation. They just have a lot yeah. to clean up. And the main one feels like they can't turn the ball over at the, at the clip that they have the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, they're a team that's going to have a very slim margin of error, you know, yeah. going forward. I mean, they, they, they played with energy. They played with effort. I thought defensively, you know, they were physical. They, they did a lot of good things. They kept their team in the ball game on that side of the ball, probably the best, defensive performance I've seen out of them this season, particularly coming off of back-to-back blowout losses, you know. Um, But offensively, now the last interception, I kind of write that one off. It was desperation time. They were down two scores. He threw it into coverage and got picked off. But but the earlier ones and the earlier turnovers, they just can't afford those, you know, because, again, they're going to have a very slim margin for error. Um, I like their running back. I like, you know, some of their young wideouts. I like Malik Carr if they get him back. Um, but they, they, they have to take care of the football because they, they won't be able to overcome those kind of mistakes. And, and you know, it kind of hurt him again, obviously, this past week. 100%. Nate Carter did have 108 yards in that game. He's putting together a stellar season his first year in East Lansing. Uh, one other one to expand on, Purdue and Illinois – this was the battle of Ryan Walters versus his former team. And finally, Purdue looked like the team that we kind of expected them to look like. Offensively, they were outstanding against the Illini. 
44-19 the final score. Purdue was 8 of 13 on third down, and Illinois was 2 for 14. So it was the first victory at Ross-Aid Stadium for the Boilermakers, which is shocking yeah. to say. But we've talked about it. Like their their non-conference schedule was not easy. you got a Fresno State team right. that's in the top 25. You have a Syracuse team that just lost for the first time to Clemson this past week. And you beat a Virginia Tech team on the road that, well, they're not great. That's not an easy place to play. And so then you get right back into your conference slate and you lose your first game. You wonder how they respond. Well, that was the exact bounce back that Ryan Walters and this team needed this past week. Absolutely. You know, and, and I'm happy for him. You know, I mean, the, the, their team has continued to play hard. Obviously, uh, you know, they're starting to start to put it together offensively because Illinois you know, it's the same defensive system that he left, you know, and yeah. they're still pretty decent. So, um, so, you know, that, that's an exciting win for him, uh, you know, to go against his former head coach and Brett Bielema, his former team, uh, a lot of emotion involved in that for sure. Uh, but they get the job done and it was a good win and, and hopefully they'll be able to, to build on that. Todd, are you a fan of chew toys or? Yeah, well, my our puppy just, you know, she insists on being making her presence felt here <laughs> during the course of the podcast. Yeah, so I she, love got a little, she got a little new squeak toy. It's a snake. It's almost actually as big as her. Um, and she's, she's very proud of it right now. Yeah. So I don't know if you know this about me. I have one fear in life, and it's snakes. I, there's, I, if I see okay. a snake any size, I've, I just – before I left LA, I, I went on a hike and there was a tiny little skinny, what it might've even just been a garden snake. And I left. I, I, I didn't even yeah. complete the hike. I, I literally <laughs> went home. I couldn't yeah, do I, it. I, I, I have a problem with snakes myself. Yeah, I really do. I'll have to tell you a funny story about the one that I killed in the back, in my backyard. Yeah. It, but it, well, you would, you would think that would have conquered the fear then. No, well, no, I, I, when I first saw it, I kind of screamed like a child. So, I mean, it scared me. And, uh, yeah. But eventually, with the help of my neighbor, we got we got the nice. Teamwork makes the dream work. I love it. Uh, other scores around the Big Ten, a couple of blowouts. Michigan just blows the doors off of Nebraska. Was, was quick to get up in that game and didn't really look back. 45-7 the final. Penn State over Northwestern, 41-13. Was curious how that would end, considering Northwestern hung in that game for for a lot of that first half. Maryland over Indiana, 44-17. Now Indiana's making some changes on the offensive side with their offensive coordinator position. Rutgers destroys Wagner, 52-3. And Minnesota with a necessary win over Louisiana, 35-24, which we'll get to in a second, considering that's our game this week. But uh, any of those that you want to just quickly hit on, maybe Penn State struggling a little bit early with Northwestern and finding their footing towards the end? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they did kind of do a little sleepwalking offensively early. You know, the defense was was stellar again. I mean, I think they had six sacks, a bunch of tackles for loss. They're just so hard to block. They're so active and so, uh, you know, athletic on defense. And if they get you in passing situations – uh, it's a real problem. You know, Iowa found that out the week before. And anybody that plays them, I mean, it is paramount that you have success on early downs so you give yourself a chance on third down. Because if you're third down and six or more against Penn State and Manny Diaz, the way he's, you know, got all the parts moving and coming from different directions, uh, you're going to have a, a very long game and a very difficult time 
you know, staying on the field. So their defense was good. Their offense kind of picked it up late and, you know, won the game by a score that you would have expected them to win the game by. Um, you know, I think Michigan was, is interesting. We're going to see them this week, and I'm looking forward to watching them. You know, their non-conference, we, we talked about how tough Purdue's was. Michigan's non-conference schedule, not very challenging. Now, UNLV's only got the one loss, and that was to Michigan. They're 4-1, and one, which is is probably the best team that they played up till this point. Uh, I thought Nebraska and Lincoln, that that would be a good, more truer test. And they won by the same kind of score that they've won all their other games. You know, their, yeah. their defense is playing at a high level. They're, they're only giving up one score a game on defense. Um, and then their offense just bludgeons you. You know, they, they, J.J. McCarthy makes big time throws, but they really are built to run and run right at you. And, uh, you know, they've got Blake Corm, they've got Donovan Edwards, they've got a mobile quarterback. And so um, so I'm anxious to see, I, you know, it's hard to say that they aren't the best team in the Big Ten right now. And it's hard to say that they're not the second best team in the country because they've done everything that's been asked of them. They've won every game about the same way, 35 to 6, 45 to 7, you know, whatever it is, uh, they just keep taking care of business. They're just not... They're just not flashy, you know, but nope. they uh, are are very very active. They so they play to their identity, and they they've been pretty vocal now after this last game. I shouldn't say vocal, but they've addressed the the fact that everybody or a lot of people around the country had been saying, ah, why why are they only winning by twenty six points in these non conference games? Why aren't they dominating to the level that, that some of these other teams around the country are? Well, I, I would say it's this right here. One, they don't care about how much they win by. They care about winning the game. And they care about playing their brand of football. And we're seeing that now every single week. They are consistently playing the same brand of football. Pound it right down your throat. Play outstanding defense. Hit your big shots when they're available to you. And then rinse and repeat. And they've done that against everybody they've played, including last week's in Nebraska. So we'll get deeper into that. But there's a clear argument that could be made that they're the number one team in the country just because they've been the most consistent to their own brand of football. And while they haven't won yeah. by 50, 60 points in those non-conference games, they knew exactly what they wanted to do, and they just went out there and they executed them. Uh, all right, let's go. Big yeah. Ten. You want to yeah, hit on that before we get to the preview? No, I was just I was just going to say the reason that, that, that I would not put them number one is, well, first of all, I, I have a hard time not keeping Georgia number one, you know, uh, because they still are the king of the hill. Uh, but also Michigan, again, that non-conference schedule. If it was a different non-conference schedule, then maybe you could make a more solid argument for that. But I think they're in the place they should be at number two. That's completely fair. All right, Big Ten previews here as we get ready for week six of the college football season. A big one to start the Big Ten slate is Maryland at Ohio State. That's at noon. Yeah. And when we did the Maryland-Charlotte game a couple weeks ago, the biggest message that Mike Loxley and his staff and his players and everybody was relaying to us is, we feel this is the year that we can compete in the Big Ten with the big boys. And so that means going up against – Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, and holding your own. Well, this is your first test to do it, and Michigan, or excuse me, Maryland played Ohio State well a year ago. And it was a close game, and Talia Tungavailoa is back, and you feel like you've got all the pieces in place. But Ohio State's coming off a bye week after they're coming off a, a game in which they really silenced in their mind a lot of the, the doubters of what their season was going to look like. And Kyle McCord yeah. looked 
really confident on the last couple drives of that game. He just looked much more comfortable yeah. in that role. So how do you see this game playing out when you've got a Maryland team trying to prove one thing and you've got an Ohio State team trying to prove something else? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tall task for Maryland, although I, I agree with Mike Loxley. I think it's now or, you know, it's now or never for their team because I think they're a really well-rounded football team. I think defensively they played at a pretty high level this year. Um, they've got speed and athleticism. I really love their safeties, you know, on their defense. They added some bulk up front through the transfer portal. So I think defensively they're, they're a really good football team. And the reason that you give them a chance is the same reason that we we're talking about Notre Dame because they have Sam Hartman. Maryland has Talia Tungabailoa. And, and you talk about those three matchups with the big boys in the East, Penn State, new quarterback this year. Ohio State, new quarterback this year. J.J. McCarthy is not a new quarterback, but he's younger. He's still a younger quarterback than Talia. So um, so you got a chance because of his skill and because of his experience. But he's got to go in there and play, you know, at a super high level. They can't turn the ball over. Uh, they've got to hold their own in things like special teams, you know, and they can't lose the turnover battle. And then they've got to, you know, they got to try to get after Kyle McCord. And so uh, I, I think it's an interesting matchup. Uh, but Ohio State, as you mentioned, after what they did at Notre Dame, now the bye week, everybody's perspective and, and idea of Ohio State will be completely different from the, this part of the season on than it was the first four weeks. They won't be questioning, you know, the offense or questioning the quarterback or questioning any of this. I mean, they, they kind of have arrived now. Yeah, fascinating matchup to get the slate started. That's at noon on Fox. For us, we've got one on Peacock at noon that's actually going to be another interesting look into two different teams in the conference, Rutgers at Wisconsin. Rutgers, a 52-3 win over Wagner last week. That's expected. They, they somewhat kept it close a little bit early against Michigan, and then the Wolverines eventually pulled away, but... It feels like an improved Rutgers team. Gavit Wimsett's a little bit more comfortable at quarterback. He was a fairly highly touted recruit going over there to Piscataway. On the other side for Wisconsin, Luke Fickle in year one. And Ches Malusi now out with a fractured fibula. That means Braylon Allen's your go-to guy, and he's your your every down back, and it changes a little bit of what that offense is going to look like. So you look at Rutgers and what they've done. You look at Wisconsin and what they have coming into this game. They are at home in Madison, which is an obvious a positive in their direction, but a lot of intrigue to me from the outside looking in, in this matchup. There is, I mean, again, it's one of those games where Rutgers will be, you know, the decided underdog and they're going to have to come in and play clean football and make some big plays. Uh, You know, one of the, we talked about questions that people had about Ohio state. One of the big questions about Wisconsin was how's Phil Longo, the new offensive coordinator, how's his offense going to play in Madison? How's it going to work? You know, they're used to being this kind of offense for so long. And now here he comes. Uh, Well, they're averaging 427 yards a game on offense, right? In his first year. So they've taken to it well, and they have not abandoned the run game. They're still a run heavy run based offense, but they just have the ability to spread it out and do some different things. And if you really gang up on the run, you know, they can throw the football better than they have in the last couple of years. So, you know, Tanner Mordecai is a dual threat guy. He can beat you with his feet and his arm and the quarterback. Uh, Braylon Allen is a big time back. 
and they always have those offensive linemen. So, um, so I think that part, that experiment is, is paying dividends right now, uh, that offense. And, uh, you know, the bigger questions for, for Wisconsin so far have been defensively, you know, they, they're used to playing a real high level brand of defense. They haven't quite reached that point with the, you know, it's kind of a little bit of a new system, some different nuances to the defense, but, uh, but they're a really good football team. I, I think that's a football team. You know, they're much better than they were when they lost to Washington State in week two out in uh, out in Washington. But that they are a team that's just going to get better and better each week that they play. And Washington State, as we've talked about, is a good football team, a really good football team. And Cam Ward's playing yep. at as high of a level at quarterback as just about anybody in the country. Uh, that Pac-12 conference, we can say it every single week on this show. Just the quarterback play is astounding. But uh, that one will be fun. That's noon on Peacock. So it will check be, that one out. Yeah. It will be Go fun ahead. because it's good to see Rutgers. It's just good to see Rutgers. What are they, 4-1? and one? You know, they yep. got the loss to Michigan. And it's, it's good to see them get off to this kind of start. It's not been an easy rebuild the second time around for, uh, you know, for Graciano. But uh, I really like him. I think he's a really Great. good football coach. Uh, so it, it's it's fun to see them get off to a good start. Great coach. They've got a great facility over there as well. They've tried to build it out as best they can and attract some of that talent from the Northeast. And that always feels like the key. Can they keep those kids from the Northeast in the Northeast as opposed to going and spreading all around? I mean, right. you see all these kids on Notre Dame that are coming from Bergen Catholic or coming from Don Bosco and coming from all these New Jersey-based programs, and yet they end up getting dispersed everywhere else. Can Rutgers find a way to start securing some of those uh, commitments from those types of high-level players. 3.30 on Peacock, Purdue at Iowa. And we just came from Kinnick. We know how special that place is. We know how special the Wave tradition is. All that was amazing. Doing a night game there was spectacular. But the question marks, of course, what's Deacon Hill going to look like in all likelihood as the starter with a full week of preparation? And can Ryan Walters and his defense make a legitimate dent on this Iowa offense that's continued to struggle? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, with Hudson card, Purdue will be the better offense in the football game, uh, you know, with more weapons and more ability to make big plays, uh, even though Iowa does a great job of limiting big plays. And they did it again, you know, against Michigan State. They, they just don't give up big plays. They're so fundamentally sound. Iowa will be the best defense on the field. Purdue will be the best offense on the field. Turnovers will be a big part. Special teams will be a big part. And as we talked about in that game, not just the return of Cooper DeGene, but but also their punter. is He's yep. a weapon for them. And when you have that kind of defense and you can play to that strength and pin teams back with field position and flip the field, um, that's a real luxury to have. And that's, you know, that's Iowa's recipe for winning football games right now is, is just try to, you know, to manage a game on offense, make some plays, don't beat us, don't turn the ball over and play to the strength of our team, which is uh, playing defense and, and special teams. Tori Taylor is so good that our our studio crew, the College Countdown crew, actually got the shirts that everybody wears around there. Punting right. is winning. By the way, I'm still yeah. a little jealous that they got those shirts because yeah. I find yeah. those those are awesome shirts. Those are awesome yes. that they wear those around there. And you very rarely see a punter get celebrated to the level of Tory Taylor. I remember when I was at Syracuse, they had a guy named Riley Dixon, who's now with the Denver Broncos in the NFL. He was celebrated because he would literally he would take a snap on fourth and 20 
and he would see a lane and he would just take off. And and people love that. He would deliver hits, right? He was one of those types of punters. That's what Tory Taylor is. He's an alien of a punter. He can put it inside the 20 anytime he wants, put it inside the 10 anytime he wants. Directionally, he's awesome. And the crazy thing is the, the other side, Michigan State actually had a couple good punts early, and then they had one yeah. shank, and the just threat of Cooper DeGene was there caused two errors that essentially lost them the game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was a great matchup between those two guys for, for most of the game until the end. But, uh, you know, and I'll say this about Taylor. Um, and I told you this, my opinion mostly of kickers and punters is they're usually kind of out there. They're not, they're not normal football players. Um, right. They don't think like normal football players. They practice by themselves. Their, their meetings are different, you know, all that. Uh, a lot of times they are on a different field doing their little kicking things, you know, and the rest of the team is practicing on a, a different field. So I, my feeling is that kickers and punters, should be separated during games too. They should be in like a bullpen and you just call them when you need them because you don't want them infiltrating and, and like messing up the mindset of the real football players. But a guy like that, who's that good and that valuable, I would, I would allow him to stay in the dugout or on the sidelines with cool. the rest of the team. Yeah. yeah he's cool. Yeah. He All right. Works. He gets behind so, that red velvet, the, the red velvet tape or whatever, red velvet yeah. rope. He's fine. He can get into yeah. the club. I yeah. like that. And he deserves yeah. it. He's one of the best in the country. Yes. Easily a Ray guy type of type of player. And we'll see if he can eventually win it this year. But he'd be more than deserving if he did. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of an infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. And then uh, uh, finally, our game on on NBC 730 primetime per usual. Big Ten Saturday night college countdown starts at 7 o'clock. 
Number two, Michigan at Minnesota, Little Brown Jug, which we're going to get deeper into in a moment here. But uh, Michigan, as we talked about, they, they just destroy Nebraska in Lincoln, which is no easy task. They sell out every game over there, and that's a fantastic environment. But 45-7, the final score there. Minnesota got a much-needed victory to snap a two-game skid over Louisiana, 35-24. to That's not an easy one. Louisiana's a good program, and they played well, especially yeah. through that first half. In fact, they had an advantage going into the second half, and Minnesota found their way through it, especially considering they didn't have Darius Taylor, their star freshman running back, as he was ruled out just before the, the start of that game with an injury. So the hope is that he can return against a stingy Michigan defense. But yeah. you, you really you hit on Michigan. Minnesota's the the more I don't even want to say concerning side because they got a, a really difficult win week one against Nebraska and found a way to basically just steal that game it felt like but PJ Fleck has been consistently good at the helm there in Minneapolis he just seems to have success every single season and you've got a Michigan team that's rolling right now and as we said plays to their identity week in and week out so if you're Minnesota, how yeah. do you possibly affect what the Wolverines are doing? Well, I, th- I think if you're Minnesota, first of all, I mean, PJ has done a really nice job there. Uh, I think we all kind of knew they were going to take a little bit of a step back this year uh, because of some of the guys they lost. Yeah. Uh, and it's been, it's just been tougher for them. And then, you know, when you lose your best runner and they've always been able to run the football, uh, you know, since he's been there. And so that, you know, that hurts. And so hopefully they can get him back. Uh, but in this game against a Michigan team that really has no weaknesses, uh, you have to, you're going to have to do some things, you know, you might have to, you know, do a fake field goal or a fake punt. You've got to find some way to, to steal a possession, you know, a couple trick plays um, because you're not going to just line up and go toe to toe with them. Uh, now, you know, in years past, maybe you felt good about your offensive line, your running bang, running games, your quarterback, all that, and maybe you could hang in there like that. But but Michigan is uh, – nobody really has success doing that against them, you know, because yeah. eventually they wear you down. And their offensive line is outstanding again this year. Their defensive line is outstanding. So if you're Minnesota, you've got to find a couple ways to steal some possessions, you know, maybe get some turnovers, uh, do some things that are that are unorthodox, and get that home crowd – riled up and involved in the game. And and so, um, you know, Michigan showed me something, like you said, going out to Lincoln and just kind of silencing the crowd there. Um, and they'll have to try to, do, try to do the same thing again here when they go to Minnesota. So to me, that's the key. I haven't been a minute to – I've been to Minneapolis, but I haven't done a game at the university. And so to see what that crowd's like, see what this environment's like, I'm curious just for my own, you know, personal stuff. But – even just to see how those those fans, that fan base can react and kind of rile up for a, an opponent at that level. Well, it's not as big of a stadium as, as Lincoln or Ann Arbor, certainly, or other places in the Big Ten, but it is a pretty rowdy crowd. Now, right. I will be interested to see how many Michigan fans there are there. You know, yep. I, I'll be curious to see how many tickets Michigan fans got and, and how many people in wearing these in blue make the trip over for this game. Yeah, it's a good question. All of this leads us directly to our Xfinity Big Connections. And it, it just makes sense that we would stick in this rivalry. It's the Little Brown Jug Trophy. And let's just kind of dissect what that means. Well, teams first played each other. All the way back in 1892, Trophy was introduced in 1903. It was actually just 
a Michigan water jug. Uh, they were concerned Minnesota had maybe contaminated their water supply, so they brought their own water with their own jug. And in the 1903 game, it ended in a 6-6 tie, and Michigan left the jug behind. Well, Minnesota found it, and they decided, all right, let's decorate it and remember the game this way. And so they didn't play again until 1909, and that's when the trophy started getting passed back and forth. So it's literally just a little brown jug. That's what they're playing for. But it's the oldest trophy game in all of FBS football, and it dates all the way back to 09. It's also two founding members of the Big Ten going toe-to-toe. And while Michigan has dominated this series, overall 75-26-3, and and Minnesota has only won two matchups since 1986 and 2005 and 2014, it's a trophy game. And there's always something a little bit extra in terms of emotion that goes into that. You talked about it earlier with Auburn and and Georgia, the deep south's oldest rivalry. In theory, throw the, the records out the window and... You know, Auburn did deliver a great performance to keep that game close. And it it feels like if Minnesota can just keep it as close as possible, keep it within a possession or two going into the fourth quarter, then you allow your fans to get in it, allow the the home crowd to hopefully impact some of the football game. But I do love the fact that they're literally just playing for a tiny little brown jug. That's all it is. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love trophy games. And the Big Ten, you know, leads the country in trophy games, right? So, I mean, that's is we get to be a part of one of them and you know hopefully we'll have a a competitive game and a game kind of like we had last week with Michigan State and Iowa Uh, but there's some other big games we should touch on just real quickly before we get out of here I mean we talked about Ohio State and two undefeated teams in the Big Ten that's going to be a heck of a matchup at noon Uh, also at noon the Red River Red River rivalry that's a hard thing to say uh very much so. Oklahoma, Texas. Okay, uh, they're playing each other, and that game feels big again, right? This is the first yes. time since 2011 that teams are undefeated coming into that game. Uh, Brent Venables, I don't know that anybody's done a better job of turning things around from year one to year two, but we'll find out how real Oklahoma is uh, in this matchup with Texas because I think we're pretty sure that Texas is legit. So that's, you know, that'll be an interesting matchup. That Red Rebel rivalry, and and as you said, it's it's literally impossible to say. It's probably a good thing that we're not broadcasting <laughs> yeah. it because if I had to kept, if I kept having to say Red River rivalry, Red River rivalry, I just would start going with, with R cubed. That's the only way to do it. But it's yeah. a top 15 matchup this year, Oklahoma at 12 and Texas at three. Two great quarterbacks. Dylan Gabriel just came off a, a ridiculous week. He put up yeah. eye-popping numbers. And has really done that pretty much all season. And, and then for Quinn Ewers to be healthy, to continue with some continuity from last year to this year, to feel like he's got a better relationship with his skill position players, it just feels like he's more comfortable even than he was at times last year where he showed flashes of that brilliance that we know he's yeah. capable of, of showcasing. So I think that goes a long way. And you're, to your correct to your point that Brent Venables deserves a lot of credit for the way that he has quickly turned things around because he was, he went from being celebrated, bring, you know, being brought in. And I think a lot of people right. over there in Norman were still pretty upset with Lincoln Riley for leaving, but they, they were yeah. celebrating bringing Venables in. He was, it's a long time coming for him to get a job like this and then quickly turned on him within six games last yeah. year, eight games last year, you know, when it, when it went sideways, the fan base did not stick with them to the level that maybe they should have. And to their okay. credit as well, they're right back on it. And they've recognized, all right, maybe we jumped the gun a little bit. We should have given them a little bit of time, but in year two to, to have this level of success that he's had, it helps having that, that experience at quarterback and Dylan Gabriel going down last year hurt them a lot when he got hurt. Yeah. 
So for him to be healthy and playing the way he is, he is right now, it gives Oklahoma a legitimate, not just shot in this game, but overall on the season. If they do win this game, it propels them into the top 10. And now they are most certainly one of those teams that feels like they can be a playoff team. Yeah, and that fan base is used to seeing explosive, high-powered, high-scoring offenses, right? But they're not used to seeing, at least in the last several years, defense being played at a high level. And I think, you know, Brent Venables, there's no question he's a great defensive coach, defensive mind. So uh, if if that's for real, if they're for real on defense, uh, and we know what Dylan Gabriel and offensive coordinator Jeff Levy can do, uh, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with, that's for sure. Hey, I got two more shout outs here before we get out of here because we talked about all these undefeated teams and again there's so many right you mentioned fresno state five and oh right uh really good football team there's another team in the same conference that's undefeated air force is five and oh yeah troy calhoun has been there for 17 years he's one of the most tenured coaches in college football this is the first time that they've ever started five and oh so hats off to the to air force and then one other team and they they're new to the FBS. They were they were a force in, in FCS football. James Madison. Oh yeah. This is their second their second year as an FBS team. Last year they went eight and three in their first year in the Sun Belt Conference. They were six and two. They're off to a five and zero oh start right now. They beat South Alabama on Saturday, and uh, you know so it's kind of fun uh, kind of fun to see them uh, playing football as well. Those are two good ones. And by the way, we didn't even mention Fresno State does have a big game this week. They go to Wyoming. Wyoming's 4-1 and one yeah. on the year, and their only loss, they actually played Texas pretty well in the only game they yes, lost right. this year. That's and right. so they, they actually they had some big wins, including Texas Tech, to start the season. And maybe everyone thought, ah, oh, well, then Texas Tech's not going to be all that good. Well, they've come back, and they've played pretty well since then. You know, play Oregon tough. You play a West Virginia team that's now – streaking after their loss to Penn State to start the year. So Wyoming and Fresno State is another game just to keep an eye out for as Fresno is ranked yep. 24 in the country. So two good shout-outs to finish, a really nice way to finish. We'll be in Minnesota this week. Michigan at Minnesota is our Big Ten Saturday night. That'll round out a triple header on Peacock and NBC. But we appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. Big Talk with Todd and Noah, presented by Xfinity 10G Network. Make sure that you download and subscribe on the NBC Sports YouTube channel and wherever you get your audio podcasts, and we'll talk to you next week. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. 